Well, good morning. We welcome you to the chapel. Really glad that you're here, especially, we're we're glad whoever you are, but especially if you're visiting, we're glad that you're here. And one of the things we tell you is right after the service, we have a time of fellowship right outside here with free food, okay, free food. So you can just stay around and eat and enjoy yourselves, and we would love to have the opportunity to get to know you better. So um, yeah, just keep that in mind. One quick announcement. Um, there was an email that went out, but maybe in case folks didn't see, see it, next Sunday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Liz Cruz is having a baby shower, and everyone's invited, guys and gals, is considered co-ed. So um, please feel free to stay for the baby shower for Liz Cruz next Sunday at 2 o'clock. But again, we welcome you being here. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is, um, it is a delight to be called your children. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ, our blessed Lord, that has given us hope and life and perspective. We thank you, Lord, that we are secure in him. We thank you, Lord, that he's coming back one day for us, and we will live with you for all eternity. Father, may this great story shape us, motivate us, encourage us, challenge us with the lives that we're living today. Father, we would continue to pray for Janice's sister, Kathy, as they're making difficult decisions um, concerning what to do there. And Lord, we would pray that in your good grace that you would grant healing and full restoration, but grant wisdom to the family as they make important decisions even this week. Father, we commit this day to you. We commit our lives to you. We pray that your spirit will do his good work in our lives this day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Plan from the start. 
your son, your son for redemption, the price for my heart. I don't have a context for that. I don't understand. I don't understand. I can't comprehend. All I know is I need you. I run to the Father. trust you. We know that we can bring our burdens to you this morning. We know that this is a place 
we can find that freedom. We can do this together. So God, please meet us where we're at. And then meet us in our hearts, Lord. May our hearts pour out to you this morning what it is that burdens us. And may we find security in knowing that you have already taken care of our greatest need, our sin need. So we can fall into grace as we sang already. And let it wash over us, that freedom, that free gift that you give us through your Son. Lord, please be with us more as we sing. Raise your 
so worthy. And God, I know that the praises of your people bring gladness to your heart. It is amazing, Lord, that billions of people all over the earth praising you brings you joy that you created us to have a relationship with you, that you gave us our fingerprints, that we are your image bearers. Lord, help us to remember that, that we are loved infinitely by the God in whose image we have been made. And I pray, Lord, that we would remember that when we speak to others. Lord, convict us where we have been hateful, where we have been unkind, where we have been ungracious. Convict us, God, and remind us that we're speaking to other image bearers. We're speaking to others who are made in the image of our Savior, the Savior who loves us unconditionally, the Savior who gave his life and shed his blood and rose from the dead in victory so that that victory could be given to us and shown through us. Forgive us, God, when we have assumed a right to those things and yet have not given them to the people around us, have not shown grace, have not shown forgiveness, have not shown kindness. Lord, we, your people, we say that we are sorry for the many times that we as your people, as your church, have forgotten what it means to be an image bearer of the one who made the universe. And we have forgotten what it means to take up our cross and to follow you. Lord, help us to be people of humility, people of grace, people of kindness and love that bubbles up from within because of the perfect, perfect God whom we serve and know intimately and in whose image we have been made. And Lord, may we be courageous like Daniel. Help us, God. We need you. We need you. Your people need you. The world is hurting, and we need you. We need you, God. So we cry out to you, and we ask that you would come, that your presence would be made manifest in this place, that you would speak your word with precision, with power, with fortitude through Pastor Tim, God. And that we would know that we are not a helpless and a weak people because of the God we serve. May you be mighty in this place today, God. You are mighty in this place. Hallelujah. We bless your name. Amen. You can be seated. So we can let the uh, children be dismissed for a junior church. My wife is uh, headed back there to teach them this morning. For the rest of us, let's turn this morning in our Bibles to the book of Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And I just want to...
quickly acknowledge that we're grateful to have uh, Doug's brother, David, here. I think David was a couple, they're both sitting up front here, and they look similar. Uh, they were a couple years behind us, behind us in school, so uh, David is a professor at Moody Bible Institute. Doug is a professor at Lancaster, which makes me nervous. <laughs> they teach preaching and, you know, Bible exposition, all that stuff, so if you guys want to go help in nursery, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> The text before us today is the text on the topic of courage. And my sermon is entitled Courage by Faith. Uh, Any other courage is simply what you can muster. Uh, Courage by faith is courage that results in knowing who God is. As a result of knowing him, I trust him and my life is changed. So I can face difficult circumstances that may be painful and costly without fear or in spite of fear, okay? The goal of the Christian life is not to annihilate fear. It's to live a godly life in spite of the fears that you may at times entertain. Uh, I, as I read through this text, I don't think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were apart from fear, but they were able to overcome the natural rise of fear by remembering who their God is. Okay, and that is kind of what Marie was just praying. It's when you know God, it will breed courage and standing and faithfulness in your life. So may God help us to understand the text before us today. I want to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 3. The text says this, and uh, my, my best, guess, best guess for how long Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been in Babylon along with Daniel is that they're probably in their mid-twenties, okay? Uh, and there's some little things in the text that I kind of think kind of lean us in that direction, but it, they're still almost certainly young men. They've recently been moved into a position of honor in Babylon. The other astrologers and advisors that are present in the kingdom are still very mindful of that. Okay, so when they come to accuse them, they say to Nebuchadnezzar, remember those Jews that you appointed? So my guess is that it, 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 that event is somewhat recent and it is in some way informing the hostility that these people have towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, so let's read through this account. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. It was 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. He set it on the plain of Dor in the province of Babylon. So this is kind of in the hometown. Uh, If you're familiar with uh, Washington, D.C., you remember where the Washington Monument is. I'm trying to think what they call that area, and I'm losing it. The mall. Okay, the mall. All right. So it's it's the mall in Babylon. There is this, he erects this incredible statue that is somewhere in the range of 90 feet tall, 10 feet wide, and and it's interesting, in historical context, most of the highest trees in the area of Babylon would be 50 to 60 feet tall. So you can imagine that now you have an an edifice that towers over the whole landscape of Babylon, okay? So it's it's says that it's made of gold, very likely that it's a wood structure that is plated with gold, covered with gold. The height of of 90 feet for for the sake of trying to kind of get a picture of it, the average telephone pole is 40 feet high, okay? So you can kind of double that and add 10, and you realize this is a monstrous, gleaming symbol of something that King Nebuchadnezzar wants to say more than likely about himself. 
So it's set up on the plain of Dor. Then he summoned the, and I'm going to read this list of, these are just the who's who of Babylon. All people of influence along with large crowds. The satraps, the perfects, the governors, the advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials were called to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So that list of people come and they assemble for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. So that's the first thing that tells us what the crowd is doing. They've been invited, more than likely compelled, obligatorily to come to this event, to stand before this monstrous representation of the glory of Nebuchadnezzar. And so they do that. They hear the call and they all march in order and they stand before this statue. The next thing that happens, and it's it's interesting, this is a a dedication to impress, and the text tells us that it's people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Notice what verse 4 says. It says, then the herald loudly proclaimed. So what's happening is the people have gathered, and then a guy stands up and says these words. Nations and peoples of every language This is what you are commanded or compelled to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither. I have no idea what a zither is. Some of these other things I'm like, I know what they are. I have no idea what a zither is. Okay, But when you hear the band play and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Very likely that the blazing furnace was a furnace used for the hardening of bricks that were used to build the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. And there's historical evidence of bricks that are stamped with his name, okay? He put his name all over everything, and this furnace was one of the places where bricks were fired. Okay, where they were strengthened and then taken out. So here's this gathering. Here's the directive. When you hear the sound, everyone must flat on their face and give adoration, complete allegiance, and total surrender to the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. That's the call. Now, it's interesting in verse 4 that he says, nations and peoples of every language. By this time, Nebuchadnezzar has secured what would be more regional, but at that time, it even had a global influence. He was the lone superpower in the world at that time. And his position was undisputed, and certainly you'll see later in his own estimation, without equal. Okay, so he's kind of come to a place where things are really coming together. And so he sets up this idol and invites everyone to come. They must fall down. They must surrender to allegiance to King Nebuchadnezzar or it's the end of your life. Now, if you're a polytheist, a polytheist is someone, theist is, means God, poly means many. If you're a polytheist, adding one more God to your collection isn't a problem. But if you are a monotheist, which is what the Jewish people clearly were, you remember the command in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3? You're not allowed to have any idols or to bow down to any of them because I am the Lord your God. 
So the God who had delivered Israel out of Egypt and brought them into the land was the God that they were to serve. He is indeed the creator of the world. And so for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and let me just address one question because in your mind you're thinking, where in the world is Daniel in this text? We don't know. Perhaps he's out on business for the king. We don't know. But we know Nebuchadnezzar is impetuous. And when he wants to honor himself, he spares no expense and he wastes no time. So he gets this whole thing together to impress. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing in this crowd. They are devoted to God alone. And that's going to inform their response to this circumstance. So the text is interesting. It says in verse 7, Therefore, as soon as they, this large crowd of people from all nations, as soon as they heard the sound of the instruments, the people of all nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay? So the response of the crowd... And it, 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 it is such a strong response that it appears to be, as the writer says, everybody, all. So all surrender their lives to this King Nebuchadnezzar. And they demonstrate that surrender in front of the statue, which means that Nebuchadnezzar has now exalted himself to the place of highest position. If you're familiar with the story, you know that there is... A simple observation on the part of some that not everybody bowed down. When everybody's face was down to the ground, some people, they're in this case called the astrologers, which we know they are the shamed advisors of the king. Shamed because there were a couple of Jews in the crowd, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, that were able to do things that they could not do. And it becomes clear from this text that these four men had become hated because of the blessing of God in their lives. They are clearly despised. They are resented, and yet they are in charge of the king's province. So the leaders of the leaders are the ones that don't bow down. How does anybody know? Because when everybody was down, some were peeking. Because they suspected That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not violate a core principle to their identity. That to me is amazing. So now you find the report of the nonconformists, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 8. It says, at this time, after the celebration is over and King Nebuchadnezzar is elated that there is a unanimous support of his rightful rule, his hard-won, conquered world, with representatives all amongst the people. And in this context, the my God is greater than your God theme certainly is ringing out. And Nebuchadnezzar has just been ensconced as the supreme ruler. Verse 8. It says, At this time, some astrologers, and they are just simply the advisors, remember from chapter 1 and chapter 2, they came forward and denounced the Jews. 
just know this, the word denounce doesn't mean they complimented them for their boldness. Okay, they are, they are literally seeking to tear them apart. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 9, may the king live forever. This is the butter in the text. Okay, and King Nebuchadnezzar loved adoration. And he despised anyone who questioned his authority or his decision making. Your majesty has issued a decree, verse 10, that everyone who hears the sound, everyone, becomes key here. When they hear the sound of the, of the music, they must fall down and worship the image of gold. And if they don't, they will be thrown into the blazing furnace. There may be a catch-22 here for Nebuchadnezzar. His, he, he has deep affection for Daniel and these three. That is clear from other texts. But in a public setting, where three of them apparently have shamed the directive of the king, he loses it. Okay, meaning his affection for their convictions has its limitations. So the king has made this decree. He has said that whoever does not fall down will be cast into a blazing furnace, which means literally and clearly they will be incinerated and gone with no memory. But, verse 12, there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by name, and listen to this, who pay no attention to you, your majesty, They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up in your honor. Now, the jealousy is clear. Some of the Jews that you exalted, which tells me that it's recent, which tells me that these guys are rather young, probably mid to early 20s. Secondly, you find the lies that are wrapped into the accusation. They pay no attention to you. Nebuchadnezzar, King, they are not trustworthy, as we have been telling you. That's the implication I see in the text. They are a threat. They pose a high risk to the stability of your kingdom. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, here's one thing that is clear that we know from the broader text already. These three were in faithful service to the king, and yet there were certain lines that they could not cross. Now, here's the problem we face as Christians. When we stand for God and we are courageous, what do we tend to expect? We tend to expect, at least from God, applause and protection, right? Like when we take that stand, we're saying, God, I'm going to stand, but you better have my back, okay? We don't like when there's negative consequences to full obedience, okay? And I think that's one of the, one of the struggles that's present here. When you do the right thing in an uncompromising fashion, you should begin to expect that there will be some who do not have an appreciation for your basic convictions, And that the result of that disapproval will be pressure against you to change you. 
Okay, so notice what happens next in the text. It says, verse 13, the first thing that's stated is Nebuchadnezzar's emotional state. It says, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king into his royal courts. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image that I have set up? Now, and and this is not typical Nebuchadnezzar. Typical Nebuchadnezzar here would be, you're gone. But instead he gives an offer, a second chance. What does he say? He says, now when you hear the sound of the instruments and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you will not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You can see what Nebuchadnezzar has done to himself. What God can rescue you from my hand? So there is some sense in which Nebuchadnezzar has become so full of himself, so devastatingly proud that he sees himself able to circumvent the will of the gods. It's amazing. That question, by the way, will get answered in a few minutes. I love how he amps this up. He offers them a second chance. It's, guys, come on. There, there are some people that smile when they're mad. You know these people? It's in the realm of the most evil. And I'm not kidding when I say that. When people smile when they're mad, there is something seriously troubling about that. So Nebuchadnezzar brings him in. Friends, what gives? You will bow down and we'll get this taken care of in public. Why does, why does Nebuchadnezzar offer a compromise? Why do you think he does that? Why doesn't he just do what he normally does? He is an absolutely authoritative dictator. Why doesn't he simply eliminate? Well, here's the truth. These guys have intrinsic value along with Daniel. More than their value is a simple observation that I would make. He negotiates with them because most people would cave. Okay, the reason Nebuchadnezzar invites them in and has to sit down, a talk, a little food, is because he believes that they're like everybody else. And that when they're given a chance to be reasonable, to be rational about their deeply held convictions, they'll opt for external compromise while having the opportunity to retain internal allegiance to God himself. They'll retain their usefulness in the kingdom. He thinks they're like everybody else. And then his checkmate is what God can deliver you. Well, verses 16 to 18 tell us how the negotiations are going. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, apparently without hesitation... Without delay, they don't ask for a day to think it over. They reply to him, 
We do not need to defend ourselves before you on this matter. Meaning, we are not going to give you a rational explanation for our behavior. Nebuchadnezzar is fully aware of where they're coming from. They refuse to negotiate. They refuse to compromise. They refuse to give defense because time never changes the truth. And negotiating and compromising never redefines what is true. And these guys have a simple conviction. We are not allowed to bow down before an idol. Exodus 20 verse 3 is abundantly clear. We can't make an idol and we can't bow down to yours. End of story. Their trust in God, notice what it says in verse 17, is driving their courage. Here's what they say. We do not need to defend ourselves in relationship to this matter. Verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us. From your majesty's hand. I want you to notice the word majesty is going to come up twice. They have utmost respect for the position that Nebuchadnezzar is in. Verse 18. But even if he does not right now, we want you to know your majesty. That we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image that you have set up. We are not for sale. There is nothing you can offer us that would attract us to compromise. And we stand here in front of you saying, let what come, what may come, come. We will not sacrifice our convictions in order to have your approval, King. Now, I'm adding words. Okay, they were a little more succinct. The God we serve is able to deliver us there was in them two things that I observed. And James mentioned this the first week. There was resolve. They were who they were. And the negative circumstances that they have suffered in no way compromised their allegiance to God. That's powerful. They've been through a lot. But they are still trusting God So with resolve and then this, with respect, two times the majesty's hand is, 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 is recognized in verse 17 and 18. Folks, here's, here's what I want you to notice. And I think this helps us in the contemporary era where there are major shifts happening in the country that we live in. These men do not rage against the constructs of their age. They simply declare where they stand. They don't call for a march of the Jews. They don't call for a protest. They don't try to change the culture. They're focused on being faithful to God at all times and in all circumstances. That is their defined commitment. And however that impacts their world, they're like, let it be. And what you're going to watch in this text is they don't protest. They don't rage, but they change the world in which they live. Okay, and that's fascinating to me. Because sometimes I think the church gets misdirected into thinking that our job is to preserve the culture. 
God's job is to preserve the culture. Our job is to obey without compromise. Our job is to courageously walk in obedience to God in a respectful fashion. That's what this text is saying. I wonder this morning as you think through this account, do you have some settled, non-negotiables, things on which you will not budge in a world that is caving on all kinds of things? Do you have clear convictions about things that matter, young people? Do you have clear convictions about purity? Mom and dad, do you have clear convictions about generosity? About the supremacy of God in your home and in your life? Are there convictions that will ever get you into trouble? I think we have perfected frictionless Christian living. We can always find a justification. You know what, guys? If we bow down to the image on the outside, but inside we're really devoted to God, we retain influence. Look, I mean, yeah, it doesn't look, the optics are bad, but the outcome is good. There is such an allure to it. I guarantee you I can look in my life and find that pattern at some level. I believe the world we live in is changing. The times are changing. And that kind of circumstance, maybe without the fanfare, because we don't live in a polytheistic culture. We live in a man-worshiping culture. But I believe those kinds of pressures are going to increase. We're going to have to face questions about who we really are and how we really stand. Well, the response to this is not pleasing to Nebuchadnezzar, verse 19. Again, it reiterates what's said in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude toward them changed, meaning he went from negotiating to preserve their lives to certainty about their demise. He is committed now to their absolute and total obliteration and destruction. He wants to incinerate them. They will be nothing but a faint, Memory after this response from King Nebuchadnezzar. And I think in verse 13 and verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar is mystified by such commitment, by such fervency. It is irking him and irritating him and causing him to respond in the strongest ways. So let's begin reading. It says, Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would not comply. His attitude towards them changed. How do I know it changed? He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual, which literally means you don't get out your thermostat or your your thermometer and check the temperature. Seven times literally means as hot as it could possibly be. Move it into the realm of beyond question in terms of what it will do and what it will accomplish. He commanded some of the strongest, his elite soldiers in his army, to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And to throw them into the blazing furnace. Now the text is really interesting here. The aim is clear. To destroy. Verse 21 is interesting to me. They're bound. And then these men wearing their robes, trousers, turmans, and other clothing. Were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Why with all of that on them. 
Why? The only thing I can think of is this. All of the symbols that gave them status were to be eliminated with them as an example for anyone who would dare question this king. Make an example. Throw them in with all the symbols of their status. No one questions the king. Verse 22 and 23 tell us how erratic this king is. His command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So this, there was displacement of flame as the bodies were thrown in. Don't know for sure how this worked. A lot of the furnaces had chimneys that came up out of the ground and the furnace was built into the side of the ground for firing bricks. Likely that they were thrown in from the top side and Nebuchadnezzar is down below watching the incineration of opposition. And I want to tell you something. Nebuchadnezzar was not entertaining doubts about the outcome. He was sure about what was going to happen. And I know that from the next few verses. This is the resolution, the divine intervention. That, by the way, is only experienced by the courageous. You will never have this day if you are a person of compromise. Verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. He said to his advisors, weren't there three men when we tied them up and threw them into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of God. Just let that settle in. Nebuchadnezzar is in total meltdown. He has created a context in which survival serves to diminish himself and magnify God. He bound them and he cranked up the furnace so the outcome would not be in question. And he was wrong. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the burning furnace and shouted. This is a Bible recording I would love to hear. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. Folks, in this moment, Nebuchadnezzar is facing a terrifying prospect these men are delivered by the hand and presence of God from certain death because this figure that appears like the son of God many think this is probably a pre-incarnate a pre-Christmas okay a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus as savior He enters into the circumstance and delivers from it. 
Okay, it's kind of the best I can do with this. Okay, but it is, there's a beauty to this picture that when they go into the fire, they are not alone. God will, this text promises me, meet you in the fire of your struggle. Isaiah 43, 1, perhaps, is in the minds of these faithful Jewish young men. Isaiah 43 says this, but now this is what the Lord says in contrast to what Nebuchadnezzar said. The Lord who created you, Jacob, he formed you. Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And the flames will not set you ablaze. Just let that settle in. I don't know that that text is in the back of their minds, but that is one of the most phenomenal promises from the book of Isaiah. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Nebuchadnezzar says, I see four men walking around in the fire. Here's the fascinating truth. This is kind of a side application. The fire that was meant to kill them actually frees them. Because apparently the only thing that burned in the fire was the cords that were meant to bind. Folks, don't resent the difficult circumstances that God allows to come into your life to test your faith and to make you courageous. Because in those circumstances, you will learn something about God that you did not know before that will serve you well for the rest of your life and that will certainly do something that you could never do and that is make God known in a way that only he can. Compromise always stifles witness. Courage always exalts God. And these three men are simply saying, if we die, Nebuchadnezzar, it's fine. Here's what you need to know. We won't bow down. We will not act to save our own lives. We will act to glorify God. I said, God, give me that. Give me that kind of heart. Give me that kind of courage. Verse 28, or or uh, 26b, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And there are all these people crowded around them. It's amazing. It's rather humorous. The entourage of leaders that had accused now gather around it. And notice, it it, it is kind of fun to read it. It says, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. No hair on their head was singed. In fact, they are numbered by God. Their robes were not scorched. The symbols of status were preserved. And there was no smell of fire on them. And my question is, how did they know? And I like the picture. 
These guys are bowing their heads around Nebuchadnezzar or around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sniffing them and saying, there's not a hint. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has something to say, as he always does. (laughs) Oh, wow. Watch this. Verse 28. The man that was losing his mind and was furious is now deeply humbled. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, this is what God does. When God breaks your heart, he changes you so completely that what you used to mock, hate, and seek to destroy becomes attractive. In this case, it became attractive because three men, I heard a sermon on this years ago, they would not bow, bend, budge, or burn. Like no matter what you did to them, they were standing. And Nebuchadnezzar deeply affected. He says, God has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They, listen to this, and this is the key to this text. They trusted him and defied the king's command. Folks, courage must come from faith in God. It must be rooted in what you know to be true about God. Otherwise, otherwise, it is merely human will, determination, which will always fail. Faith in God, trust in God is fueled by the work of the Spirit in a Christian's life that gives you extraordinary trust in God. Not normal, not willful, but supernatural trust in God. So when you face a circumstance like this where high cost is likely You can stand. And all the offers of a king to a good life and a better life, all that stuff has no appeal and no attraction because you are rooted and grounded in the love that God has so powerfully and strongly for you. Nebuchadnezzar properly diagnoses the circumstance. They trusted him and defied the king's command and then this, and were willing to give up their lives to say that. The thing that got Nebuchadnezzar's respect was they let me do that. And they could have gotten out of that. But they refused to compromise. They were willing to give up their lives. Man, I'll tell you something. We cave for so much less. We compromise. We have a failure of courage for so much less. May we so know God that we trust him so that when pressure and temptation to compromise comes, we, by the power of the Spirit, can resist it and stand. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians 6? Put on the whole armor of God. Get it all on. And once you have it all on, then do what? Stand. Hold your ground. Be the man of God. Be the woman of God. Be the young person of God that is not known for compromise and negotiation, that is not known for being loud and raging either, but is known for a constant love for God and a firm commitment to honor God in their life. They're not for sale. Then the king says something amazing. 
He says, therefore, in light of this event, I decree, as much as he decreed about the statue and worship, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, their houses turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in that way. And the penny drops, right? Because Nebuchadnezzar's threat to them is, I'll throw you in that furnace. And what God can deliver? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, here's your answer. And it's born on the backs of courageous young men who would much rather serve God and give up their lives than compromise to please a pagan, powerful king who could pour pleasure on their lives and material possessions on their lives and it had no attraction to them, no appeal. They had no appetite for the negotiations of Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of the day, Nebuchadnezzar says, I want everybody to praise the God of Israel. Well, these are the concluding applications. Number one, courage is a rare commodity. Strength of conviction in the face of pain and loss is a rare commodity. You know, I remember as a young person, the church in which I was raised, we were reminded of a simple truth or given us a challenge. It was this, no matter what you're facing, do what's right and leave the results with God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I understand that there are often in our life circumstances in which we need counsel to discern what is right. But there are a whole lot of circumstances in our life where what is right is already clear. I don't need to have, go, go ahead and have a discussion with someone about doing the right thing. I simply need to do it. And on this day, that's what happened. My warning to us as a church would be this, to watch out for incremental compromise, a slow failure of courage that preserves some level of influence but sacrifices ultimate influence. It's Father's Day. Dad, your kids, more than ever, need a reliable, courageous leader and role model. And every time you compromise to preserve influence or pleasure, you are casting a brick at their life that will destroy I want to beg you as dads, be courageous, be the example, be the man, uncompromising, that they desperately need to see. And look, as a grandfather, let me say this, this just means I'm older, okay? I have not, as a 60-year-old man, I have not stopped watching my dad and my father-in-law. I have not stopped observing their lives to learn lessons that I desperately need. So don't think, because they're out of school, that it's over. They are still watching. As long as God gives you breath, they are still watching. And they need 
to see a man who is courageous in the most difficult circumstances. And here's the truth. The more difficult circumstances are, the louder the witness is. Don't resent the test or trial that you're facing. You know, you may be here this morning saying, Pastor Tim, this text is exactly where I am. I am facing a circumstance where if I stand for the truth, if I say the right thing, I will lose friends. I will lose family members. I might lose my job. And I, I believe more and more you're going to see that in a world where truth is up for grabs, where people want you to be compliant and pluralistic, bendable, malleable. God is calling you to be courageous. Don't resent the trial that you're in. In this story, what was meant to eliminate witness only serves to exalt it, right? When Nebuchadnezzar heats it up seven times, the outcome is all the more glorious. They didn't just survive the furnace. They survived the amplified furnace. The intensification only highlighted the miracle. And I can tell you something, that was not Nebuchadnezzar's desire. A watching world needs to see courageous Christians who trust God. Nebuchadnezzar would have known, never would have known who could deliver if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had caved. Okay? If they said, you know what, King, we will be reasonable. We'll negotiate. Just let us leave town. Let us whatever. We're going to babble. We don't mean it. Whatever. The witness would have been lost. And the victory would have caused shame in their hearts. I, when I look at this text, I wonder how they walked away. <laughs> like, how do you walk past the astrologers who sought your death? I know how I would walk away, and it's not very godly. <laughs> I got thoughts running through my mind, not even appropriate for public. <laughs> I should I apologize. I should not have said that. <laughs> like, does that does that having trusted God and we're still here, does that change you? Man, it, it will transform you and will make God larger to you and greater and more worthy. You know, Jesus went through a circumstance like this. When he faced the cross, he was tempted to compromise. He was just saying, Tim, Pastor Tim, I, don't, I can't have that thought in my mind. Well, go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, Father, I know the plan. Established before the foundation of the world, as we sung earlier. And I hope you catch that kind of theme. I know the plan. But is there any other way? Do I have to go through this furnace? Nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. Folks, the temptation to compromise is not sin. It's normal. It's what we all face. The question is how we respond to it when we are tempted. 
1 Peter 2, 22 to 24. This is my Savior. Listen to this. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Folks, that's what I see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego doing. King, we don't need time. We don't need to think through obedience. We are committed. We are devoted to the exaltation of God himself in our lives. Whether by life or by death, same for Christ. And this verse, I actually had to check on Siri to find this verse. Because I, I, I wanted it. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Surrender. The result is the next verse. He himself bore my sin in his body on the tree so that I might die to sin and live for righteousness because by his wounding I am healed. Folks, listen. Nebuchadnezzar's heart I don't know at what point he comes to faith in God, but I know by chapter 5, he is a recorder of Scripture. By the time I get to chapter 5, he is writing Scripture. I, Nebuchadnezzar, the text begins. His heart has been changed because somebody in his sphere of influence didn't crave possessions and popularity and power. They wanted God They wanted God glorified, and they knew God. Therefore, they were courageous. And this is the key. They defied the king and were willing to give up their lives. What do you, you can't beat people like that. So when you have that kind of courage informed by a great God, you can say, look, whatever comes, comes. I trust a God who can meet every one of my needs, who can save my life and rescue me. And he proves it through the cross where he bore my sins so that by his wounds I could be healed. Maybe you're here this morning. And in your mind as I'm preaching on compromise is a compromise. A failure of courage. A failure to do what's right because you were craving somebody's approval. Wow. It can happen in the workplace. It can happen in physical relationships between unmarried people where there's pressure to compromise to gain approval. It can happen with your kids, mom and dad. I tell parents the most powerful attribute a parent can cultivate is courage because you will be tested repeatedly by those children. Okay? And if you are prone to cave because you want them to like you or you fear something, you will fail. It takes courage to be a good parent. Dad, on Father's Day, it takes courage. A willingness to defy somebody's desire and give up your own life, your own reputation for what's right and for what honors God. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ. I hope that you will see a Savior in the fire for you to cut the bonds and to set you free. 
And he enters in for your deliverance through the cross so that you can be forgiven. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. You simply have to say, I'm a sinner. And on the cross, Jesus Christ bore my sin. And trust him. Acknowledging the truth about who you are, the truth about who he is, and as a result, become a courageous follower of Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me this morning? Father, as we go through the circumstances of life, we are often troubled. We're often twisted. We are often pressured. And we fear that we will not survive. Lord, this text reminds us that for those who know the Lord, it is well, in spite of circumstances, it is well with my soul. And Lord, as we close our service this morning singing this hymn, it is well. Lord, make this true for us. That, are, that no matter what furnace, no whatever test we are facing that is beginning to cause a failure of courage, may we remember who you are and say, it is okay with God. And Lord, help us, help us to, through this truth that we read this morning and through this truth that we will now sing to gain a greater apprehension by the Spirit of who you are and may that apprehension of who you are, that truth, that faith, fuel our courageous living for your glory. Forgive us from when we fail. Forgive us from when we compromise. Help us when you're tempted so that we may, having done all, stand for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please stand.
chorus just one more time. It is well. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my thank you, God, that we can say because of you, because of what you have done, it is well with our souls. We have a peace everlasting, a peace unshakable that comes from you. And I pray, God, that even as we could hear the voices of the people standing beside us singing this refrain, it is well, it is well with my soul, that that would be an encouragement to us, that we don't walk this road alone that we do it in community, that we have each other, that we can confess our sins, we can share our discouragements, we can rejoice with each other, we can intercede in prayer over each other, we can fight for our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I pray that no one would walk out of this room um, feeling despair or feeling disheartened that they could never have the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Instead, I pray that they would leave this place with a desire to know you more, with a fervency growing in their heart to open their Bible and to see you and to love you through reading your word. And that as they get to know their God, that courage would just grow. That little seed of faith would grow because that's who you are and that's what you do. You bring something out of nothing and it is through you that we can live lives of courage. You are the miracle worker. We thank you, God, for the message this morning and we thank you for our time together, Lord. May we go out from this place filled with thoughts of you. In Jesus' name, amen.